Sarah Seahawk. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. What's up, what's up with this week where every guy... Uh, first, welcome in our cast, Kev, Kevin Garber. How you doing, buddy? Uh, you know, I just want to take this announcement to, uh, to announce... I want to retire from podcasting as a member of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. <laughs> Eric, Eric, uh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm not I'm not topping that comment by Kevin. It's too good. So we got the, our terrific trio assembled, and, uh, well, a couple guys assembled to announce they wanted to retire Seahawks. First, Richard Sherman, which, uh, I mean, people who, after, <laughs> after trade really? gate this summer, uh, maybe he was like, you know what, I got to get out in front of this. I want to retire a Seahawk. This uh, is as much a story as that was. He said that he did not request a trade, which continues with... With the possible mistruths of Mr. R. Sherman. All right. And then we got Doug Baldwin saying he wants to retire a Seahawk. That one, I believe. Yeah. I believe both of them. I mean, at this point in their career, even if they left, they would come back and sign one of those stupid one-day contracts. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it doesn't really matter. All right. So, uh, let's let's dig right in with a... Um, if we were in a desert, we are in the middle of the Sahara Desert, like right now in terms of Seahawks news. It is dried up. We are in need... Of, desperate need of an oasis we are in bad out there. white uniforms with black helmets dragging combs through the desert <laughs> it is that is <laughs> it is bad all right top upvoted story of the week from the seahawks subreddit you ready jermaine curse had a baby yeah i knew this was going to be our news and <laughs> wait wait jermaine curse had a baby that oh, is news okay his wife marissa had a baby that's less news kevin is it news that i saw a picture of him holding it and as as we know now, he he he's not dropped the baby. That's because no one threw it to him. That's right. All right, here we go. Here's the question Shit, to follow it up it. with, and I don't mean this as a slight to Jermaine Curse. Will that baby ever see Jermaine Curse play in a Seahawks uniform? Yes, but not in its memory. Okay, fair enough. Eric? Oh no, perfect, exactly. All right, uh, let's see. Let's let's work our way down this. Uh, I guess YouTube list of. Th- Topics that I uh, have to talk about. All right. Last week, I went hard into Patrick Peterson. I said Patrick Peterson overrated. Pro Pro Football Focus posts a tweet uh, two days ago that says, these are the number one passer rating allowed by cornerback since 2014. Minimum 500 snaps. Sherman, number one. Josh Norman, number two. And Chris Harris, Jr., number three. Um, I think there's a little volume issue here where Richard Sherman also just never gets targeted. Yeah. But but, um, he is very good. And... uh, who does not appear on this list? Patrick Peterson. Confirmation bias right here, guys. You heard it here first. Patrick Peterson still sucks. I got to ask a question. Uh, Josh Norman, This is since we are delving into massive potholes of looking and scrounging up for news, Josh Norman, is he as good as the numbers indicate or his contract says? Is, is. Josh Norman as good as the numbers indicate? Josh Norman is a very good football player. So do you mean is he a top five corner? Is he a top three corner? No. He's a top five corner probably. He's probably in the mix for like five, fifth to tenth. That's where yeah. I put him. Okay. He's, he's very good. That's what I thought. He's, he, he's if someone a... wanted to say he was the fifth best, I would understand their argument. I Here's one thing is I thought he wouldn't be that good in Washington because he's such a poor scheme fit to what they were trying to do. And he still did pretty good, which kind of proves he wasn't just like – he wasn't copping off of a Carolina scheme, although he was much better on Carolina than he was on Washington. Let's yeah. make that abundantly clear. Um, he might have been the best cornerback in the league in Carolina's system. Also, Chris Harris Jr. is somewhat criminally underrated. Like, he gets love, but so good. he is so good. He might be the cornerback that I like the most out of all cornerbacks in the NFL. If, if someone wanted to argue that he's number one, you could make a very good argument for it. All right. Uh, Poor Football Focus also tweeted out the uh, top run defender grades by edge rushers in 2016. Uh, coming in a third, Jadavian Clowney. Second, Vaughn Miller. And a first, our boy, Michael Bennett. Best edge defender against the run now i think this is a product of him 
playing some snaps on the edge and some at defensive tackle and being so versatile and great in both the run and pass game. But the fact that he scored a 93 pro football focus rating against the run is pretty awesome. And it sh- I think it speaks to how important he is to the success of our team. It also speaks to exactly what we talked about, the versatility and overall combination of skills on the 2006, the 2017 and likely 2018 Seattle Seahawks defensive line is going to make offensive coordinators weep. Okay, and I have a question for you guys. What percentage of snaps? We've added a lot of depth along the defensive line. Do you think that Bennett will still play you know, 80% plus of snaps, or do you think that that number will go down significantly? Uh, Eric, I, I Eric. think <clears throat> I think this year it's going to stay near that, maybe 78, 77, something like that. But, I mean, he is getting older, and they do want to extend his life. Again, this is the NFL. They're probably going to use him up as much as his contract allows. That sounds really bad, but NFL players are used as human fuel. That's when they go to get their money. I'm like, get it, get it. I would say that Eric took a big portion of my answer. I would tend to agree. I think the thing to remember, though, is Frank Clark has proven himself as an asset, you know, and Averill has proven himself. Clark is the one who can alleviate some of the carries, but I wouldn't expect any of the rookies to really take a lot off of Bennett's plate. So I think you'd still see over 70% of the snaps. Benich averaged around 70 in most games last year. He he was either right under or right over in about every game, about 70% of snaps. As opposed I, to a, uh, two years ago when it would have been closer to 80. Yep, and then three years ago, or four years ago, where he was closer to 60. So they have shown that they're willing, depending on the depth, they're willing to either ramp him up or down. Just and depends on what they're trying to do. I think you're going to see somewhere in that like high 60s, low 70s range. Okay, so... Just Especially kinda, early in the year. Kind of more of the same. Even though the rotation is growing, we're, he's going to keep most of his snaps. Who loses the snaps then? Well, really quickly, though, if Malik McDowell comes on, you'll start seeing that sort of in the last five or six weeks of the season. That's where you start seeing those like 60% snap numbers, like what used to happen with um, with the defensive line when we in had week it, 15, 16, 17. We had everyone. Mm-hmm. What, okay, who loses the most snaps along the defensive line, though? Obviously, there's like Tony McDaniel snaps. That's 50%, but that's... That's not enough to accommodate like all of these guys that we signed. Do you, do you I think Cliff Averill. Who's the who takes the axe? You think Averill just doesn't appear on any rundowns anymore, hardly I th- ever? I think Cliff Averill I think yeah, for you, but also I don't know, Cliff Averill's had some success and it's gonna be really hard to duplicate that success exactly, and I think part of that will happen because of the scheme. And it's nothing not a knock on Cliff Averill, but I think he will just kind of take like an unintentional step backwards. Okay. Mine is Jaron Reed. I think Jaron Reed is going to get the biggest reduction in snap count. I think that he might, unless he takes a big step forward in terms of his like NFL productivity, he's, I think that he'll play mostly just first downs and on maybe even not first downs against teams that run a lot. I think there's games where he could appear 25, 30% of snaps as opposed to last year where he was, you know, hovering around 50, 60 in every game. I would tend to agree just because. Normally, you don't want your defensive tackles being at 60 to 70%. You want it right around that 50% number. I could see him being closer to 40, and I think that would be good for him because we did just add two defensive tackles in the draft, and our defensive tackle depth, it was a three-man rotation, and out of that three-man rotation, half of them were hurt most of the time. I did not know Jaron Reed played that much last year. Yeah, Jaron Reed at the end of the season was playing quite a bit. 
Because we're thin, and we aren't this year, or shouldn't yeah, be, I should we say. Should, I think that, that, that We should have a legit of, four-man rope. Part of the reduction in, in stats is going to be there. All right, uh, a little intersection intersection of interest here. Uh, Cassius Marsh went to Grand Prix Las Vegas and played uh, Magic the Gathering. Uh, okay. <laughs> I obviously care about this more than either of you guys, but um, do you think it's cool that the Seahawks did like some YouTube videos and cross-branding with something like super nerdy like this, or what, what are your guys' opinions on this? I think it's kind of cool. I mean, wasn't uh, didn't Magic get its start out here? I feel like the Seattle Seahawks... Mo- Which is the ghost is headquartered in Seattle. Yeah. yeah, I feel like, you know, Seattle, all over Seattle, businesses and sports, we really stick to Seattle things, and we like to, you know, promote that outside of Starbucks. So, uh, yeah, I think that's great. All right. And- I think it's cool. I mean, it's it's an interest. I don't think it should be hyped or lessened as opposed to any other interest any player has. So, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that it's being treated as just a hobby instead of, like, some weird thing. Yeah, I think it's cool that they're doing, like, uh, promotional materials and stuff, and they're, like, putting it out there. Uh, Magic's a really fun game, and uh, I play a lot. If you play Magic or want to talk about Magic, you can you can message us on Facebook. I will get back at you. Also, uh, this is a bigger crossover fan opinions. base than a lot of people realize. Um, both sports and these types of games are strategic in nature, mm-hmm. and it appeals to a lot of the same people. Yeah, I, think- I mean, there's definitely big crowds where it doesn't appeal across, but there is... Like, the Venn diagram has a thicker overlap than people probably yeah. think it does. Especially because sports has, like, a statistics culture built around it now. And yep. a, a lot of the the uh, games players now, like, approach it from, like, a statistics and analytics angle that I think is really appealing to them. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. I mean... Uh, Curtis Conway says Amara Darbo might be uh, the I don't care uh, biggest that. sleeper from the NFL draft. Yeah, I know, but I just wanted to illustrate that that would be the next thing we hit if we actually dove any deeper. Uh, That's where the news is at. Bennett said the Seahawks can't win without Russell Wilson, which is like no, no shit. Sure yeah, lot. NFL teams are worse when their quarterbacks don't play. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Here's the, okay, let me, let's talk about Amara Darbo for a second. Um, what's the best case scenario for Darbo? That he gets like 25 targets next year? No, that he directly replaces Jermaine Kearse. Sure, but he's not going to. I think that most of, let's say Jermaine Kearse doesn't, play very much next year or gets cut okay i don't think those snaps are going to go to amara darbo no i think best case 30 targets they're going to go to tanner mcavoy and paul richardson who are both kind of poised to have breakout years right yeah but you said best case scenario at which point paul richardson probably gets hurt for a couple of games from a darbo perspective yeah but i mean i'm just saying darbo is not going to get it's not like darbo's going to come in and get 65 targets and 45 catches that's look back unless your name is tyler lockett you don't get a ton of uh targets as a rookie quarterback in Pete Carroll's offense yeah it's just it's not going to happen i think people don't temper your expectations that's that's my tip for people in terms of uh amara darbo unless you're like me and you get super excited about 300 yards receiving for a rookie wide receiver at which point go ahead and be excited just understand that your expectations are weird yeah but don't Don't you be ashamed maybe you have family in me (laughs) don't you think maybe he will come out with like two really great games where he shows flashes of what if what that scouting report said if he has 400 yards receiving over the course of the whole season that should be considered a resounding success. That's a breakout year uh, for that a rookie is like, receiver in the system. That is like really, really good. If I, well, Lockett t- had 700, and we were if bowing. He, if he has two games with over 50 yards, I would be very excited about him. That's how low my expectations are for his production. That's not to say that he's bad or anything like that. I'm actually, actually quite the opposite. I think he has a lot of potential, but he's a rookie. 
He plays in a system that's not going to throw a million times, and he's he's blocked by a bunch of young players. Like there's young guys who are probably going to try to eat that eat up the snaps ahead of him. Paul Richardson's rookie year is something to take a look at. I think he had like between 350 and 400 yards receiving. Correct. Most of it coming in the last five or six games. Um, he had that one really good game against the Rams, I believe. And he had another game where he had like three catches, but two of them were really nice against, I want to say Green Bay, but I could be wrong there. And it was enough where you're sitting there going, man, another off season and this guy's going to be amazing. And yeah, I'm stoked. I think he's going to have that kind of year. Just just for completeness. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a nerd. There's so. a million <laughs> stories coming out that like basically everyone who's hurt is going to be ready at the beginning of the season. Uh, Eddie Lacy, Errol Thomas, uh, Tyler Lockett, like all these guys, apparently they're all going to be good. And then finally, Kevin, your favorite story of the week, Austin Davis's ability to pick up the playbook blew Pete Carroll away. And I'll say this. If Austin Davis is starting more than two games at quarterback for the Seahawks this season, Kevin will be blowing his own head away. More than uh, two? <laughs> Austin Davis, he's probably good enough that we can go 500 with him. Yeah, he's... he's which is what you asked for from a backup quarterback, but he is firmly a bang average backup. functional backup. Uh, yeah. All right. Is uh, he better than Tarveris? No, yes. he is of that caliber. I think he's better. Right now, Tavares Jackson hasn't played. A- oh, then Tavares would be right now. Yes. Yeah, was, I thought you well, meant like Tavares, Tavares when he was our backup. I would say Tavares when we had him. I, mean, I would yes. say he's equivalent. Similar. Yeah, he yeah. he can he's do enough of the offense, and he's good enough that you know, if you if, if the defense is playing well and the running game's going well, he might go two and one. If they're doing okay, he go one and two. If we're relying on the throwing game and he's our quarterback, then we'll look like the Rams when they relied on him for the throwing game and he was their quarterback. <laughs> that wasn't good. Okay, so but yeah, if, if Austin Davis was the quarterback for the whole season, I would pick us to go nine and seven, like that. Just right now, just gut call. But I just don't think there's there's and there's not much upside above that. It's nope. more like the floor could be much lower. Yep. Uh, Choices. He's a uh, real that good. Really that good. All right, let's um let's talk about NFL news because there was a lot this week. Um, do you want to start social issues or or roster moves, Kevin? Because there, there there was uh, there was aspects in both regards. Do, do where, or Eric? Do you have a strong opinion? Roster. On let's go roster. Okay, I talked a lot about how I thought the Seahawks should try a reclamation project for Greg Greg Robinson. Greg Robinson was traded to the Lions for a 2018 second or sixth round sixth pick. round. Pick. Do you think that the Seahawks should have tried to get in here with a six-round pick? I don't think they would have done it in the division, but yes. Yeah, I agree. I don't think the Rams would have given <sighs> it to us, but that just seems like tremendous, tremendous value. You traded away a lottery ticket for a lottery pick. I mean, like this—he yeah. is he has as much. He has a better chance, or at least as good a chance, of succeeding as anybody else you're spending a six-round pick on. Right. He had, I mean, he gets a lot of holding penalties. Like, he is third in the league last year in holding penalties, and I don't think he played in every game. Uh, but uh, the, the thing is that he has talent. He got drafted third for a reason. It's not like he's just a, a schlub. He's he, an athlete. He needs development, though. Like, he obviously never developed or flourished as part of the Rams' uh, offense. But neither did their entire team. So Correct. that could just be the Jeff Fisher effect. I was possibly related to Jeff Fisher. Okay. Titans went ahead and signed Eric Decker. Great signing. Uh, I mean, the Titans are loaded now. They they have really built out an offense around 
uh, Marcus Mariota. They drafted a wide receiver in the first round who uh, is a speed demon. And then now they go ahead and get Eric Decker, who can play in the slot. And they have Tajay Sharp. Yeah, they already had a couple of decent a wide receivers. a functional receiver. And a really good tight end. Yep. So now they have like a fully functional offense. And to go with their pretty decent... They're, they're, they are building what seems to be a team on the rise. Titans mania is running wild. People are getting really high on the Titans. Are they a slam dunk to win the division, or am I crazy for thinking the Texans are still lurking right there? They are not a slam dunk. The Texans are lurking. You never know what Indy's going to do. Jacksonville has the talent to do something. It's a matter of if their execution is. You're looking at a whole lot of 8-8. Eight and eight. So whoever can distinguish themselves within their division will bump themselves up to 10 wins and take it. I agree with you on all points except one. Uh, I, I will say this right now unless indy andrew like it's hurt and something happens to indianapolis jacksonville will get last in that division i will personally guarantee it you can mark that one down i you said they have coming. the physical talent i didn't say every they nfl team has physical talent though i mean they're the jaguars and both and they have bortles i was like i'll Until say this about dies, <laughs> i am i am against them as as far as the afc south goes on the jets I mean, they, <laughs> come on, the, it's not the, saying much. Okay, wait, wait, let's we'll go. Let's go deep on that in just a second. Finish, the AFC South. I mean, honestly, any team outside of maybe Jacksonville, you could pick, and I think that you're not crazy for picking them. Okay, is the Jets roster the worst roster you've ever seen constructed in NFL history? Oh God! Uh, before there was a salary cap, and you could just sign a thousand players, and or no, about what about the teams when everyone was away at World War II? Yeah, okay, those okay. were probably worse maybe what about okay. what about like five years ago browns here's the thing nope. people ask this question okay could could alabama beat the browns and it's a stupid question no in fact they probably wouldn't even be able to score on the browns but i am starting to think that some kind of college football team could actually score on the jets not win the jets would win they're just too much talent they're mature they they run a more way co- more complex system but like Alabama might be able to score points on the Jets, which is just awful for an NFL football team to say. Like, or one of these true. like aired out offenses with that secondary, send five like, wide receivers out there that you don't have anyone can cover. Seventeen everyone. to six Jets over Alabama. No, like worse than that. Probably like forty-two to six. But oh, forty-two. I'm don't telling know. you, dude. Like NFL, it's it's a different thing. Like again, you have to be one of the best players on a college team. Like every guy on the Jets roster is. Is, was one of the best players exactly. on every college team. On every college team. And Alabama, it's like an all-star team of guys, and they're mature in their bodies, and they know a system. Like, they're going to beat up on a college football team, but they might not shut them out, which is, it, honestly, that's embarrassing. If Alabama had a better <laughs> offense, I would actually give them a chance okay, maybe of keeping like Clemson it Clemson last year, like a team with a really good offense. If, if Clemson's offense was and Alabama's defense got together and got to keep all their coaching... I Same think teams. that team could have kept it within three touchdowns, okay, which is an embarrassment. Like twenty-eight to seven or something, yeah, something yeah, or like, like uh, or like twenty-eight ten, twenty-eight ten. Which, That's if you're an good. NFL team and you're only beating a college team, if you're beating a college all-star okay. team that had an entire offseason to practice, and here's why I brought this up. This is going to be a talking point all year. I wanted to get to it first and then never bring it up again. Because it's stupid. The Jets cannot. The Jets would never lose to a college team. It would never ever happen, barring like every guy on the field getting hurt, or the refs deciding to try to rig the game, or something like that, or the players boycotting or something. Yes, something stupid would have to happen. That team, it, that team can go zero and sixteen and lose every game, every game by twenty points. They're still better than every team in college football. Okay, let's just level that out there right now. Okay, um, 
All right, uh, social issues, or do you have any more uh, roster moves, Kevin? Uh, we brought it up. Did we officially get to address last week Macklin signed with the Ravens? Uh, we did. Yeah, we talked about it. Okay, that was a solid signing. Uh, the Decker signing made me think of that because that was the the same teams were bidding over those two players, and the Eagles lost out on both. Uh, how about this? Okay, here's a roster moves one. Of the eight players that the Rams got in the RG3 trade, they only have Michael Brockers and Alec Ogletree left, and I would argue that at this point, the Redskins won the trade because at least they made the playoffs with RG3. Like, oh, yeah, that's fair. The Rams don't have anything left from that trade. Do you guys remember <laughs> when the Vikings traded away an entire team worth of picks and players uh, to Dallas in the 80s? Herschel Walker? The Herschel Walker trade. Okay. Yeah. Uh, or the, Ricky the Rams trade. screwed that up. Because this was that trade. Right. They... This was absolutely that trade. And they found a way to just murder all the capital gained. Right. They... The fact you came out of that, you're flush with picks. Like, the Browns and the Titans just were given the exact same thing in the trade last year for the quarterbacks. And you could easily argue the Titans have already capitalized on it better than the Rams did. But for it's, certain... It's a failure on so many levels, too. Like, if it's Cleveland scouting. and Tennessee both make the playoffs in the next two years, that is spitting on the Rams because they had the exact same opportunity and they blew it hard. It's quite possible the Rams are the worst-run franchise in the... Uh, okay, the Rams are the worst-run franchise in the NFL, and, the, and we still have the Jaguars, guys. And the Redskins, <laughs> that, they have Bortles, whose name? And come on, we're not. Is we're not the gonna, Redskins. We're not going to bring up the Jets right now. Okay. Uh, by the way, Red, uh, Washington, they officially took the person who's been running the team anyway and announced that he's the GM. So, um, the aptly name, I believe, Dick Allen, right, is now running the franchise. The guy who ran Shanahan out of town, despite never having uh, really coached or been involved in a super successful team, keeps unlike getting better. Shanahan. Right. So social issues. Man, we have so many uh interesting like social stories that came out. Let's start with the Ryan Leaf Ask Me Anything. I want I brought that was it up great. I brought yes. it up last week. I have not seen someone who was so self aware. He knows. Everything that's everything that people say about him, he admits that it's true. Like he's like, Yep, I I was kind of a turd. Basically, it's what he said. So I was kind of the worst. Can I give you my favorite line from that thing? Sure. So the question was asked after he made a few comments about San Diego and how San Diego really didn't help or protect him, which is accurate, and that's been out there, and that's known. I was actually surprised by that, by the way, Kevin. Uh, someone asked, if you were drafted by the Colts, what uh, difference would that have made? And he said... No real difference. I was the problem. Yep. And was... that moment, that comment bought a lot of respect for me because he could have handled it a different way because undoubtedly San Diego really did not help him. No, but they did him no favors. He fully admits like, no. Um, and yeah, they probably, uh, here's the thing. The Colts maybe would have protected him a little better, but All it would have just, just enabled him. the inevitable. Yep. All I would have done is put a, the maybe crash a two was year stay of an extra cube because he he knows what he was like and he said it it wasn't perfect. Um, another thing too is he, he was very eloquently spoke on issues of uh, drug abuse in the NFL and in the nation as a whole. Um, he I thought he did a really good job and I 
you know, I would love to see him working with current NFL players to like, you know, handle pain, pain management in a more responsible way. If the NFL was serious about having these programs for rookies coming into the league that would really educate them on the things they need to know, it would be it wouldn't be Michael Irvin telling you how to handle the cocaine you're bringing in your luggage by having somebody <laughs> to blame it on. It would be a guy like Ryan Leaf who would be out there going, "Look, you know, this I these are the mistakes product. I made and this is what I had to do to get to that next level." Because people look at a guy like Michael Irvin and go, yeah, he had his addictions and everything, but what did it really cost him? Nothing. Yeah. People look at Ryan Leaf and they go, that man there is the cautionary tale. And you listen to that differently. You have to listen to that differently. You know, if Todd, Mar uh, was it Marinovich? Yeah. Yeah. If Todd Marinovich, I always get him and the offensive lineman who took steroids uh, mixed up. Um, Tony Mandrich. The Green Bay, yeah, the Green Bay guy. <laughs> uh, if, if Todd Marinovich would have really cleaned himself up to the point where he could actually hold down speaking engagements, he would have been the guy who could have done this. But you need a guy like that, somebody who really did lose it, to come by and explain to these people, like, this is what's at stake. Having a guy who had 10 years in the league and made his millions and is on the set at NFL Network going, yeah, but, you know, what did drugs ever get me? Um, 10 years in the league, millions of dollars in a spot on NFL Network is apparently the answer to that question. Ryan Leaf being able to say, you know, two years in jail and being fired as a low-level college quarterbacks coach, that's what it gets you. That's a much more real message. I, I thought Ryan was the realist. Uh, Eric, your thoughts in general? Uh, the honesty of the questions, like I told Kevin when he first started, uh, that I was surprised he said that <clears throat> the the Chargers didn't help him out. Because I was expecting, I watched the E60 special with Ryan Leaf, and so I expected honesty in a certain regard with his own problems. But I didn't, I didn't expect the honesty of, yeah, this team wasn't good to me. Because I, I figured he might have deferred that just to kind of heap it all on himself, like to take more. But he wasn't afraid to be like, yeah, San Diego wasn't very good about this. He didn't dodge anything either. No. And no. He, was, he was honest about it. And I feel like if someone would have tried a gotcha question or like to really rile him, he would have stayed even keeled and just said, no, this is a problem. It was me. And this is why. And thanks. Yeah. And I think like it's, it's cool to see people turn their lives around. And he's even said like every day is a fight. Like, I have to make sure every day not to let myself get into the old habits that I was in because these old habits die hard and they're what ruined my life the first time. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's inspiring. It's inspiring. It's a, addiction's a terrible disease and it takes a lot of lives. And we see it in the NFL because of the, you know, how brutal the sport is that these guys can get hooked on these painkillers and it could be really tough for them. And I think that seeing this guy, you know, on some level uh, work through those problems can maybe hopefully help other NFL players make similarly good decisions and or turn and turn it around before they get as far down maybe yeah. as Ryan did. Cuz here's a guy where no one could doubt his arm talent. Nope. No one could doubt his really he was a mobile player. He had all the physical and He played in a pro want. style system, so like he he was coming to the NFL with like an advantage over most guys and he just he just never put it together cuz he like he admits it is his fault. Yeah, it's the between the ears stuff, and it's the addiction, the leadership qualities that you need to be an NFL quarterback. It's the stuff Russell Wilson has that you can't really put a value on, or yeah. or it's not tangible. You know, like it's this. There's just this leadership quality that certain guys have, and he did didn't have it. Opposite, he had the opposite of it. 
Yeah, when you yeah. when you hear that Russell Wilson, you know, people don't like him because he's a goody goody or you know he has no edge. This is a guy who's mature, who is not going to fall into this, who knows what he's doing, and that's that's a an asset you can't you can't put understate. A, you can't put a dollar sign on it either. It's yeah. just it, it's just so 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 valuable. And the, they act like the guys don't love him. The guys love him because he's a freaking winner. You know what I mean? Like Michael Bennett is gonna go hard for Russell Wilson because he wins and he's a winner and he knows how to win. And like I think people underrate the fact that yeah maybe they think Russell Wilson's a little bit corny. I kind of do too. To be honest with you, I think he's kind of a corny. More dude. than kind of. But but guess what? He wins games. And if I was on a football team with him, I'd love the dude because he works hard and he wins. If he was Blake Bortles' talent level, yeah, I'd probably hate him. I'd hate him because you know what? Then he'd be he'd be Tim Tebow because Tim Tebow is corny and sucks. <laughs> like like then and, yeah. and we all hate Tim Tebow. That's why Russell Wilson's great because he's corny, but he's good and he backs. And there's it up. a second factor to that. He's corny, but. When he's leading a drive in the fourth quarter, he's not coming off the field. Nope. He wants that pressure. He, he has that, he that it stuff. factor, like you said. You know, the, the military used to use the term, and sports has borrowed it. He's a leader of men. Okay. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to do this one. You know, I was gonna talk about Michael Floyd, but I just wanna let make it go away. So we're just gonna we're just gonna skip that one. Uh NFL tackle Ryan O'Callaghan. Uh, formerly of the Chiefs and Patriots, uh, is like the most recent NFL player to come out as gay. Uh, Scott Pioli had the the best line uh, from the article, though. He said, um, O'Callaghan went to his office and said, I've got something else I've got to tell you. And then he was like about to cry. That's what the article says. And it says, I'm gay. And then Pioli just goes, so what's the problem you wanted to talk to me about? <laughs> and every time I read an interview with Scott Pioli, he just seems so down to earth. So funny, and I respect the work that he's done with both the Patriots and the Chiefs, uh, and I think like that just speaks to how he is the kind of boss you'd like to have. He's a good boss, and he's done a good job with the Chiefs, and I think that this story is cool. The more, the closer we get to players feeling comfortable to come out while they're still active players, I think the better. Uh, the, the closer we can get to that point in our society. Um, What's without, a mental health issue? Yeah, it's because like he said he was going to kill himself. Like he was scared every yeah. game that. He didn't. He would just go drink coffee while everyone else is in the showers to not like be around other people because he was like afraid what people might think, even though no one knew. Like it's just like just crazy stuff, man. Like I don't. I can't imagine being in a situation like that. And he said he was going to play football until he had to retire, and then he was going to kill himself. And he ended up not doing it because of his relationship with Scott Pioli and the other. And he got help after that. And it's like it's really uh, kind of an inspiring story. And I hope same same as the last one. I hope that people follow this lead and learn from this and that everyone grows because of it. Right. Just like Ryan Leaf, we can all learn from the hard times other people went through. And it just yeah. shows you, uh, you don't really know what people are going through until, you know, they tell you. Yeah. And you know, to, we, we've hit the heavy part of this, which is the fact that, you know, somebody was dealing with the type of anxiety and depression and mental illness that plagues the NFL and by somebody just being compassionate and human, it really helped a lot. Yep. And, and that's not to take away like clinical depression and everything. That's a real thing. And I'm not saying like making a comment makes it go away. But what I'm saying is it's he, nice to have this type of environment right. in a place like the NFL. And it's, it's a cool, cool things from the article. 
he said he never heard people using gay slurs, which is which is like I expected the article to turn in that direction immediately. Like I had to listen to people <laughs> I did saying gay slurs all the time and stuff, and it was really hard. And it, in the article, it says he never heard someone use one, which is like that's great that that's the kind of culture that is in some of these locker rooms. Like I think that that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, the whole story was good, and the fact that he reached out for help and those people actually were able to help him. Yeah, like that's it's it's an all around uh, feel good story. When you consider thirty years ago, you know. Uh, Washington's franchise was the uh, the safe haven for uh, homosexuals in the NFL, and it was because it was a don't ask, don't tell policy, yep. basically. And to see that you know progress has happened, it's good to see progress. I'm hoping that the progress continues. Last one, here we go. Last social issue story: 86 and 90 players that tested for uh, brain disease, uh, NFL former NFL players donated their bodies to science. 86 out of 90 had uh, brain disease. Um, at what point does this issue become too much? At what point will people stop watching or will people uh, start to mobilize against the NFL? Because it's obvious to me that they don't really care about this um, from their actions. So what else do people need to see? In significant enough numbers to make impact, I don't think it'll happen. Some, It will take more massive tragedies. Which thankfully they're they're not so numerous, but you know someone killing their family and killing themselves, more of that, and then uh, the NFL would kind of be forced to probably uh, you know, butt back against the you know the push that they'll get at that time. Yeah, the flip side it's of this sad. would be if they can if this this is more likely to put a stop to football at lower levels, high school, etc. And that happening is the thing that would have the biggest effect on the NFL. And at that point, they might have to put money into safety like they've theoretically been with uh, improvements to equipment and tackling technique. Uh, all, t- all around good guy, athlete, pro bowler, people loved. Junior Seau kills yeah. himself by shooting himself in the chest because he knew something was wrong. With and his brain. He, and he, with his brain. And he had to kill himself as a relatively young man. Yeah, he was And yeah. that did nothing. So you're asking me, like, what's going to happen? Many more tragedies. Okay. Uh, I think the NFL has a big lawsuit brewing here. Uh, I think that they, the way they handle this is so poor. And here's what I need to see. Okay. They're offering a lot to, a, to an NFL football player fame, fortune, all that stuff, right? This, it's a big opportunity for someone to make a lot of money. But they act like CT is not a problem. Look at what the ha- what's happening in the NHL. The NHL is being sued in a CTE lawsuit similar to this one. And it's because they're denying the science. That is why they're going to lose. And they're going to lose a lot of money. Okay. The NFL is going to need, what they need to do is it's like boxing informed consent. You know, you're getting punched in the head that that's a thing that is happening. And you know, that's happening. You will try to keep you as safe as we can, but it's going to wear you down. And there are medical risks involved with this that they need to make that clear to the players. And if some players decide, you know what, this is not for me. I'm going to go play baseball instead. Good for them. That's awesome. You're a great athlete, and you can do that. That is that is a choice that you can make if you feel like your brain health And if you think, hey, you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice some of my brain health to play football because I love football or I want to make a lot of money playing football. That is a choice you're allowed to make too. I think that the biggest problem I have with this is the fact that NFL has this deny, 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 deny strategy where they say the science is bad. This is not true. This is not happening. When it very clearly is happening that's what bothers me the most yeah uh, do you, 
Do you guys have anything? It's the health equivalent of climate change denial. I mean, saying no does not change things that are provable. Yeah, you can't rebuke science. And they can't make the sport safe without changing fundamentally what the sport is. I don't, I'm okay with it being a little dangerous. I mean, they can make it safer. I have lots of suggestions for that. My most, my, the one I ride out with the most, you know, is different kinds of, instead of the fiberglass poly helmets, you know, go back to leather helmets. We don't see, we don't see these CTE problems as much in rugby, for example, which is a violent tackling sport, just like football is. And why is that? Well, you can't, you can't lead with your head. If you're playing rugby, if you do, you'll kill yourself. Yeah. So, I mean that you don't see people ring their bell like that in uh padless practices either nope. because they're not going to put their head out there because they know it's going to hurt them. Right. They people, people tackle differently when they don't have this suit of armor they're putting on so i think that that would be a good start but you know what let's just uh i think we table that we uh, take comments from the audience you know if you got a comment on what you think about these issues uh hit us up i'd love to i'd love to talk about it let's take questions on it um yeah so that is all i had kevin do you have any stories i missed or no i think you hit all the big nfl stories eric you're good all right i'm good so let's uh let's it's um it's money time, Kevin. Let's get in the money zone, as the uh my brother and mother and me podcast is want to say. We're in the money zone. This is where we uh you can give us your money. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And I have great news for Seahawks Nest fans. Old fans of the podcast, so just you, Augustine. Uh, no, just, <laughs> just kidding. Uh so just kidding, Michelle. We love you too. Yeah, we have we have other friends. We have other fan too. <laughs> uh, so so uh, hardcore fan. So anyway, the old people of the podcast know that before we would have two podcasts, we'd release one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday. The Tuesday podcast was a uh, picks podcast where we go through each NFL game, give our quick thoughts on the game, and then give a pick. Well, that podcast will no longer be releasing directly on SoundCloud anymore. Instead, it will be a Patreon exclusive podcast. So, if you want to hear us talk a lot more about all of the NFL games, you know, and you want to hear our really great picks, they weren't that great. I think we all were pretty average to below speak, average. actually speak we competed for yourself with the professional pickers we were yeah. just if you look at the professional picks we were just barely behind the pros but i think we can improve i think i've done a lot of uh soul searching in the offseason <laughs> i'm in the hey best man, for I'm 11 best weeks my, i was like the dixie dynamo i'm a, I'm, a, I'm, the be, I'm the best shape of my life <laughs> <laughs> so, so i'm ready I'm ready to do this uh so yeah if you want to hear our picks that the best way to do it is to subscribe at the lowest level uh, dollar twenty four a month, twenty four in honor of our boy Marshawn Lynch, who I hope we meet in the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's the uh, lowest level you could support at, and then you oh, could man. go up from Resurrect there. Resurrect the Raider there are More reward, more rewards above that. Um, uh, we use that money to buy podcast equipment, and if we ever reach a hundred dollars a month, we will have a big time uh, live stream party. That big you can, American party that you can uh, you can win prizes. So, yep, that's a uh, that's my uh, sales pitch right there. Patreon.com. Now let's say you don't want to get in the money zone. You, you're like, you know what? The money zone, that's not for me. There's lots of other ways you can help These us. These guys sound kind of dumb. I don't know what they would do if we gave them <laughs> spare cash. <laughs> I mean, uh, who just, knows what destruction they think, could rot upon this earth. Just think, you can go through your cha- the change in your couch and find enough money. If you do it every month, well, that'll probably dry up too fast. Never mind. I was about to say, how slobby do you think our <laughs> yeah. listeners are? This is getting insulting. They, 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 they just, just have pockets have, full of change and they go, you just, you just I'm dig in your couch. belly button, you'll be able to find. <laughs> if you scrub between the folds, you'll be, oh. uh, there's, there's got to be a couple bucks in there. So anyway. Uh, <laughs> we we're not in Cleveland. Come on. There, there are lots of other ways to help the podcast. Uh, you can go ahead and give us a, a review on iTunes. Uh, actually, we have, we have reviews on iTunes now. And I have noticed that it has really pushed uh, new viewers onto the podcast. 
Also, any other, if you find us another way, if you find us on Stitcher, if you find us on Aircast, Pocketcast, anything like that, uh, review us on there. Uh, please give us a million stars or however much the most is. <laughs> and we know that's an ask, but we appreciate it if you do it. And yeah. If you don't do it, that's cool. If, but you, don't, if you don't do it, thanks not for listening. Not as cool, as Matthew McConaughey would say. Also. You'd be cooler if you did. Be like the one listener a week who goes through and downloads every old podcast <laughs> for some reason. It's happened this week, Bakersfield, California. I know you're out there, and I don't. I hope you didn't start from the beginning. Man, it's it like 120 rough. degrees yeah, there. There's they no way do you made it back. <laughs> it's, so, it's so hot out there. All right. Also, the place in the United Kingdoms. Yeah. At Glaston, us. Come Glaston, on, we want to hear about that. Glastonbury or something? We'll, no. we'll talk crumpets. We'll do it. Worst Gloucestershire? No, it was something Hall. Snooker. Mendel Hall? Mendel. No, it was not Richard, Richard, Richard Mendel Hall. Hall. <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying to start a bit, and then you guys are just like hating it so much. All right, so so uh, let's uh, let's go ahead and get into... Uh, let's get into... I'll put some water in Buck Nasty's mama's dish. <laughs> let's get into uh, the Seahawks Nest Movie Club. Uh let me just let's go back a little bit. Controversy reigns supreme, <laughs> and for a couple of our Seahawks movie club comments, okay, people were mad that we didn't like Superman enough. People were mad that we it's Eric Eric is fist pumping for the listener at home. He is fist pumping vigorously because right. he loves uh, Man of Steel. Very little does he know it. he's about to be the target of the next two complaints. Uh, the next other complaints. <laughs> people were very frustrated with Eric's hot take on Star Wars Episode Four. Uh, yeah, that's fun. I'll so, take it. So I want my con- wife was pissed I want that I contra- ripped on the Ewoks. I want <laughs> she seriously. She was like, sent me texts. She pulled out the VHS. She's like, we're watching well, the Christmas special you tonight. You don't even listen to this anymore. What do you want me about? I can't believe you would say that. Like, Why right. would you talk bad about my precious wicket? That's right. Pretty much, <laughs> more or less. Okay, so did I- she do it in Ewok? <laughs> <laughs> I want controversy. I want controversy to reign supreme. I want. I want to br- I want to bring the Seahawks Nest Nation to their knees with Ooh. anger. I want the gnashing of teeth. We, I, we I get want a Bernie's too. Here we come. So here we go, Eric. Let's talk about a movie that I know neither of us like very much. That is very popular. You oh, ready for this? Go. I'm ready. Let's talk I'm about my glasses Sin off. City. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's the face Eric made. We is that, just, wait, let's wait, just wait. Start wait. with the face. Is that Eric. movie really that popular? Is it's Sin City. Okay, here we go. You ready? You want to know how much people like Sin City? Let's look at it on IMDb, the Internet Movie Database. The ender of all arguments. Eight out of for... ten. That Ooh. is a very solid rating. Eight it, out of ten Brussels it had a, sprouts. It has a 74 on Metacritic. It won 33 awards. This is a real movie, Kevin. It was an interesting movie. Okay. How many how many Razzies did that zero those awards? All right, so uh, it was running against a movie where Eddie Murphy played every character in the movie. I think so. <laughs> Eric, yeah, yeah welcome yeah. to Hot Take Zone, Movie Zone, starring <sighs> Eric and Nathan and Kevin. Here's the thing: this isn't a hot take because you know, like sometimes you can get with 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 Episode Four going back with Star Wars Episode Four. I just rewatched it and I watched it with a critical eye for the first time in my life, and I was like, you know what? I don't think Ben Kenobi can act very well. I don't like it, and I'm I'm fine. It was I don't hate the movie, but I'm I'm I stand by what I said. This right there, right there. If you stop scrolling, this movie I was excited for, man. This this is not a hot take. This is an impassioned plea to quit ruining things I enjoyed, <laughs> or or to quit pointing out that the things I enjoyed maybe you shouldn't enjoy. Okay, expound on that. All right. So Sin City is. An adaptation 
of the graphic novel uh, or the collected works into a graphic novel of the same name done by a comic book visionary Frank Miller. Uh, for those that don't read comic books, he wrote uh, a lot of the, um, or one very important, sorry, two very important Batman stories that have found their way into film. He's also the reason why you know who Daredevil is. If you like Netflix's Daredevil, uh, then you like Frank Miller. You know who Frank Miller is. He didn't have anything to do with the show, but the series has drawn heavily on what his uh, works are based on. So the comic was like this hard-boiled noir tale of, you know, murder, deception, uh, a mystery, uh, terrible things happening in the California Valley. Or, you know, it's not California, but it looks like it. Uh, sometimes a whodunit. And I really enjoyed this book. And the movie more or less took every scene from the comic and shot for shot, line for line, remade it. And never has anything been so terrible. Like, I looked back like, what? Is this? Is it really this bad? And I reread the book and I hate it now. Okay. Here's, here's my problem with the movie. Okay. Is that... It's like Star Wars Episode One, where you can tell everything was shot on a green screen soundstage. And here's another thing, too. It lacks, like, emotional punch. Because here's some things that they did when they shot this movie. And this is like Robert Rodriguez is... I like Robert Rodriguez. I think he has a lot of talent. But he is undeniably, like, lazy. Like, that's the only word I can use to describe it is lazy. Because in this movie, like, they... They shot scenes for the movie before all the actors had signed on. So they filmed them with stand-ins and then digitally re-added the re actor they wanted to play the role later doing a, by doing a reshoot in front of a green screen. I did not know that. That is horrible. And the actors are not going to have like that emotional connection that makes a movie believable. And that's what I have. That's the problem I have with this movie is that it's just not – I don't buy it at all. I watch the movie and I'm just like, this movie feels dead. It feels like – Lifeless. You mean like how it looks like Michael Madsen is reading the script for the first time in every scene where he talks? Well, it's yes. probably because he is. Despite the fact that I like him a lot, he he probably came. He's probably one of the actors that came in after and was like reading to no one in front of a green screen, and then they're like, "Okay, great, Michael, next one." You know, they just churn him out, and they, he doesn't have any connection to the story, the other actors, nothing. Yeah, he, he's just trying to like, you know, he can't. How can you get in the head of a character if you're just doing it like that? It's just so inauthentic, and I think that that's the, uh, why I don't like this movie so much. And I think that a lot of people didn't catch on to it until they saw the second Sin City movie, Sin City A Dame to Kill For, which was panned. People don't like that one as much. I don't think it's that different than the first one. I've never seen it, even though it's on Netflix. I think about adding it like I should watch this. I'm like, no, you hated the first one. It was so <laughs> bad. I remember, like, can't I cannot wait to get out of the theater and... Uh, so I'm, I haven't even given the second one a shot. Plus, that source material that that comic pulls from, not my favorite story. Not very good. I genuinely want to ask how many people have watched it in the last three years. Because when this movie came out, the, cinem the cinematic style of it was the a little unique. The, the visual... visuals were unique. It was like one of the first like and fully digital movies that like had... like. That stuff, and then the black and white with the colorization and stuff. Yeah, there's like some moving comic book pieces to it. This movie looks cool. Like, I don't want to take that away from this movie. And I will say, if there's a redeeming quality of this movie, it looks great. Like, it looks really good. But 
this it just feels the feel of it is just off right yeah and it's like you said it, it's just very wooden well, to the point where it feels like they told all of the actors you know you need to be um tone deaf to the situation almost you ready for another reason why it might feel wooden kevin no one got a screenwriting credit on this movie it just says adapted from a or based on a graphic novel by frank miller in the screenwriting part and that's because robert Arriga says it wasn't an adaptation it was a translation he wanted to put the comic straight onto the screen with no changes like Which, that's, that's outside that's, of one one scene that I do remember because it angered me. Uh, there really there are no changes. There's like one there's one added line when uh, the priest dies. Yeah, there, but there's hardly anything different, and I think that that's a big part of the problem is that film and comics are a different medium. Yep. And yeah. we've seen great comic book adaptations now, and none of them are word for word from comics. I mean, some of them follow the structure. Like Batman Begins is a good example. There's a lot of stuff in Batman Begins that's straight from the comics, but they've pieced it together in an interesting way, and they've they've strung it out a little differently, and there's changes here and changes here and changes yep. here to make it into a movie as opposed to making it just a straight adaptation of the Dark Knight Rises or whatever whatever comic you are basing it on. Yeah. Well, the way dialogue works, I'm sorry, written dialogue and spoken dialogue are not the same and can't be. Nope. Cannot be. A lot of times people say things in uh, comics that you don't need to say because you're watching them do it. Yeah. Right? Uh, They're describing something that's completely unnecessary to talk about. As a teacher who does read-alouds constantly, I will change verbiage just so it comes out slightly smoother. And, you know, those of you that are purists, at me, bro. But <laughs> At me, but the very hungry caterpillar needs a few grammatical changes to sound good, okay? In all seriousness, though, <laughs> when you're reading out loud... You have to make some changes so it flows for you. If the actors were being directed against that, yeah, no wonder. They're saying words that don't belong to them. That's so unnatural. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. They're doing an impression, basically. Well, Kevin, you, you summed it up when you said uh, Michael Madsen was... Uh, what, was the, what was the phrase you used? He was awful in this movie. It sounded like he was reading the script for the first time. Yeah, and it... Yeah. It it does, and I think we like a few weeks ago. I I made you guys watch that scene to tell you how much I hated this movie. Yeah, it certainly reminded me of yes. how, yeah. But it's got Mickey Rourke in it, who's a fine actor, and it has a bunch of it has Powers Booth. It has it has people. it's got a lot. I I believe Benicio uh, del Toro. If we're just going to talk about the actor and actresses in this movie, this, oh, there's so many good ones. I'll say Benicio. Benicio. I don't know Benicio if she's a great one. <laughs> Benicio but, del Toro and the girl from Gilmore Girls. Alexis Bledel. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I think their scene is the only scene with any chemistry in the whole movie. And I don't. I'm not saying that's a great set of scenes. Uh, I just felt like Michael that Clark was it. Duncan. Yep. Oh, Josh right. Hartnett, Rucker Howard, Clive Owen, Mickey Rourke, like they got Bertie Murphy, rest in peace. Like they got tons of people to show up in this movie, and they all, like I said, they all tried. But I think that the, this movie feels lifeless because of the way it was filmed. Well, it also suffers from um, Avengers syndrome. There's just like a lot of people. In There's this movie. a lot of characters, and you can't give any of them justice. This needed to pick a storyline, and it picked a thread, but it really didn't follow the thread that well. Uh, so when this movie came out, I was working at Hollywood Video, also RIP. Um, <laughs> and when you were an employee at a video store back in the day, uh, you used to be able to bring home one movie. Like per night and watch per it night. and bring it yeah. back. Yeah. And so it was right after this came out 
and I had special permission to because I was really interested in it, and they had so many copies, and usually the new releases you can't, but we were allowed to because we were expected to be able to talk about it. So I brought it home, watched it after our closing shift at like one in the morning, and fell asleep during the movie. And I was like, okay, it's just because it was one in the morning, whatever. And I had to bring it back the next day. So I woke up, you know, had breakfast, coffee, went to watch it again. And after I finished the movie, I'm like, yep, that's why I fell asleep during that movie. Like, this movie just <laughs> does not hold you. The vi- the thing about this movie is it's beautiful to look at. I think I saw it in the theater the first time. And I think that that's by far the best way to watch it just because the visuals are so good. But it's just know. it's just it's just flat. It's just flat. Like there's something just miss. There's something missing. It's, it's like um, it's like a like an android. You know, like it looks really good, and it's like, but in, in the end, it's a lifeless husk. <laughs> just, just, just no. Yeah, apologize cool. to all of our android listeners. Yeah, no. yeah. Sorry to all robots, uh, adaptive AIs who are listening to this, or robots, especially the one. Thank in, you, uh, Kevin. Glastonville, Berg. Town, England. It's like Weisenhall or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this movie. You know, I don't know if uh, this other movie is on Money your list, Chisel. Nathan, but it reminded me of the Blair Witch Project in the sense that a lot of people love that movie, and I feel like that brought a genre to the market. Meaning, you know, this this and brought I'll the CGI. Yeah, and it's really not a great movie. <laughs> like, Frank, thanks for bringing that out, but Frank Miller never would have let any of his other comic books be used, like the Batman comics and stuff. Like they would have been hard for them for Nolan to use them to inspire his work if it wasn't for this. So respect for that. It got it got some good, you know, IP into the game. I don't like the three hundred either, but I think the three hundred is similar to this, where it's like that movie looks really good and then but it's it's probably worse than So then you're City. saying it's like the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man where because it was commercially I, successful it unlocked doors? I love the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. First the first two. They're they're good. Nathan loves crying Spider-Man. He I loves like when he crying Mary Jane upside down. I like when he wrestles Randy Savage. I almost got already. kicked out of a theater for laughing through that movie, but I enjoyed it greatly. Yeah, it's it, I think it's fine. Uh I enjoy it like I enjoy Maximum Overdrive. Oh man, I don't think it's the, in that neighborhood. You don't love anything as much as you love Maximum Overdrive. Kevin. Okay, so uh, my let's, third child. We spent a lot of time kind of slamming on Sin City, and uh, so we're not suggesting anyone go watch this. Let's give the people a movie to watch. What's a movie by Robert Rodriguez? Robert Rodriguez directed film that you would recommend to the viewer, and you can't say Spy Kids because that's too obvious. I got. Obviously, I thought you were going to go with this I don't mind exactly. Go for it. Go you guys to, are going to laugh at me. All listeners are going to laugh at me. I'm going action movie. I'm going Predators. Predators. All right. Predators. I love Predators. It basically took the. Uh, he know. was the producer, by the way. Not the. Uh, he oh, didn't, he didn't direct it. So does this not count? No, it counts. He okay. was heavily involved in making the movie. Yeah. He he basically wanted to make a sequel to the original Predator. And he's he said like yeah maybe Predator Two with Danny Glover maybe that exists but I don't I don't really care if it exists or not like this is the the spiritual sequel to the Arnold Schwarzenegger Predator movie right. he tried to make like an actual sequel to Predator instead yeah. of making it like a different Predator and here's thing. the thing because Predator One and Predators it's like uh, and I'm sorry to drag out the O but I'm gonna do it anyway it's like Alien and Aliens and both movies uh, the sequel is is much like the original Predator in the sense that it is clever. It is not just trying to be like, hey, we're going to put a Predator in uh, Los Angeles and uh, and we're just going to make it real bloody. No, is that they... Crocodile Dundee? No. 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, Kevin, you know, I actually I watched that last week. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> Next hope, week on Seahawks Movie Club. <laughs> I hope it's on your list, Nathan. We do the no, trilogy. I feel like Predators was, uh, was clever. It was smart enough for being a mindless action movie, sci-fi action movie, which I love sci-fi. I love action. Combine the two, and uh, you may have a good movie. I enjoyed Predators. Oscar winner, Adrian Brody. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right. Kevin, there's, there's, there's still a several movie I choices love. left. There's but. a movie I absolutely love. I have owned this on three different digital mediums. All right. Uh, including VHS. Uh, I will never apologize for my enjoyment of Desperado. Okay. Desperado. All right. All right. I was, I was hoping that you'd pick Desperado Once Upon a Time in Mexico. Both are really good movies. Uh, El Mariachi is good, too. It's just like it was filmed for $3,000, and you can tell. It's, it's, <laughs> it is clearly the predecessor to Desperado. Right. Desperado was the movie that they wanted to make when they were making El Mariachi. He said that. And it has great scenes. I love the narration style um, with Tarantino setting it up in the bar. Um, There are so many good moments in that movie. Uh, It brought Selma Hayek into my young world, which is also a good thing. But... It's a good movie. It's this is a, really a very, movie. very good movie. The action is well done. Yeah. If I didn't go with this, I would go with The Faculty just because that's mindless, dumb fun. Ooh, forgot about The Faculty. Yeah. Very f- dumb, fun movie. Uh, uh, if you like the, if you like uh, Desperado 2, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, the, the third movie yes. in the trilogy is also very good. Skip the second. Uh, it's it's fun. I will, uh, well, the, no, the second movie is Desperado. <laughs> the first movie, skip the first one. <laughs> well, skip, I will say this about, uh, about Desperado. I read this, or I watched this interview with Robert Rodriguez, and he said that, no, it was a... It was a reading interview he said that there were so many death scenes that they were like didn't we already shoot this guy let's put sunglasses on him and we'll shoot him again yes (laughs) and i thought you'd like that kevin well in the scene where they're shooting up the library yes and that's just and she's freaking out about the books and everything that's really well done they uh by contrast to sin city the humanity in desperado is what tied it together because it was super over the top just these but see the bartender never dies just these crazy obscene a guitar case full of guns it's ridiculous and amazing yeah that was only one of the brothers so there's a chain gun there's a couple there's a couple um there's a couple different directions i could go here i could go with the machete Uh, machete's pretty good i go with planet terror which i actually really like grindhouse both parts so i could go that direction but instead I'm going to go with a movie that has only one scene I don't like, and that's From Dusk Till Dawn, which okay. I think is a super good movie. It's super solid. Uh, I, I find it really enjoyable. Uh, I love George Clooney uh, in the movie. I love uh, Harvey Keitel as like the uh, like priest. I love Harvey like, Keitel Quentin, in anything. I love Quentin Tarantino in this movie, except for one the one scene that he obviously <laughs> wrote into the movie so he could lick Selma Hayek's feet. Yeah. That is disgusting, and you should be ashamed of yourself, Quentin. Uh Real smart movie, but uh, but I mean, if if you're a foot fetishist, I guess you could do that. But um, anyway, this is right before uh, this kind of sp- helps springboard George Clooney into superstar. Yeah, this movie's just it's really it's a cool movie. Sparked, uh, it's Rex fun Rye's to watch. Imagination. Uh, Cheech is so funny in the in the movie when he he's in the thing and he's talking to all the girls you can get. And he's like, we got. Oh. I don't want to say what yeah. he actually yeah. no, said. But, say, but, no, but if you really it, shouldn't, if you've seen it, it's so funny and it's so good. You want to know how? I always wanted to know how scripted it was. Yeah, and how much he was just improvising that scene. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> or um, how many times they shot that scene. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, and then there's just a it's it's a really solid fun movie. Uh, I I think like if you ever like catch it on cable, you should just watch it. Uh, like or if it's on HBO or something. Um, you know, I always like to talk about what people have coming up. So James Cameron is producing a manga adaptation with with uh, Robert Rodriguez of Alita: Battle Angel, which I have never watched, so I don't have a strong opinion on this. And then he also has another movie coming up uh, called Ugly Doll, which I also don't know much about. There's not much information out there. You are burying the lead, And then sir. the last thing, Ugly Doll is like a, I guess it's a plush toy. His kids probably like this. He made these Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava Girl movies because he said his kids would like it. So maybe these Ugly Dolls, he really likes them. And then the last thing is he is attached tentatively to an Escape from New York remake. Oh, no. You're burying the lead. That's that's it. He is also attached to... Machete kills. Machete in kills in space. Out. Oh no! <laughs> yes. No, that's not why. I was like, a machete kills already came out, dude. That movie was yes. horribly awesome. In will be space. Will be as good as Leprechaun in space. Nothing. Oh can yeah, a hundred. Mo- uh, he also has this movie, a hundred years. The movie you'll never see, where he like locked a movie in a vault for a hundred years. Uh, it's like in a cellar or something. I hope he's trolling. Uh, it's apparently it's not that good. Uh, like, it's like him and John Malkovich just kind of mailed it in, but but it's just like because it's like a concept thing. All right, uh, what what else? Uh, I think that's it, right? It's like that Wu Tang uh, album. We're pretty good. Uh, okay, what? Okay, fine. I want to do one. How about, uh, you know, we're over an hour. I can't do it. All right, now no, I'm going to do it anyway. Machete, much better. Machete or Hobo with a shotgun? Uh, machete. I I have a soft spot for Rutger Hauer, so I watch I, Hobo with, you with on a Shotgun, that. but I think Machete's a better movie. Machete's probably better, but Hobo with a Shotgun, come on. He gave Rutger Hauer work, and a, the man deserves work. Well, Bubba Hotep, could we throw that in there? That, that. I, mean, I don't feel like that's in the same like grindhouse. <laughs> no, but that is a fun <laughs> movie, Kevin. Thing. Anyway, I thought we were just naming incredibly fun, weird movies. All right, so yeah, I thought, Kevin, you'd be more excited about this Escape from New York remake that he's attached to. Yeah, but Machete kills in space. I have blinders. All right. <laughs> that's... Uh, so for Kevin Garber, the feels. for Eric Ronovic, uh, I'm Nathan Santo, and we'll see you next week. Yoha! Good time, bro. No, I ain't got nothing but a bag.